right. Jared, I'm always blessed when you share your music with us, and I hope you don't feel bad for forgetting those lyrics because it happens to most of us. You know, I went my first two years in ministry. I'd spend all this time throughout the week writing these sermons, and I'd have these high points, and I'm so proud of them. I just felt like I needed to hit them. And then I'd get up here, and I'd forget half of them. So uh, you might have noticed that now I walk around with this, and I have all my notes right there so I don't forget. <laughs> we are beginning a new sermon series this morning, and it will come as no surprise to many of you, any of you that, that know me, that I love the parables of Jesus. I've preached on them many times, and I will continue to preach on them many more times in the future. And over the next three weeks, we are going to be looking at three parables from Luke 15. Three parables from Luke 15. And what's really cool about these specific parables is how well they fit together. There are specific threads tying all three of these parables together. And so to begin this morning, I want us to look at the first three verses of Luke 15. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, the the verses will also be on the screen. But we'll be looking at Luke 15. And so this sermon series is entitled, This Man Receives Sinners, and part one is a sheep. So Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. You know, Jesus had a way of drawing people to him. Those who were hurting, those who were scared, those who had been abused, those who felt like they had no hope, those who were shamed by the religious leaders, They all felt comfortable with Jesus. And the Pharisees had only scorn and condemnation for these types of people. But Jesus accepted them as children of God. They may have been estranged from the Father's house, but they were not forgotten in the Father's heart. Verses 2 and 3 continue, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them, saying, Jesus is about to address his religious accusers with three parables, one right after the other. And by doing this, he is, in effect, turning the tables on them and demonstrating that regardless what they might have fooled themselves into believing, they are not acting like friends of God. They insinuated that Jesus liked to associate with sinners and, in their minds, the vile because he was oblivious to wickedness, like he just didn't care about it. They assumed that if he was a real prophet, that he would be in harmony with the religious leaders and treat the tax collectors and the sinners as the scum that they were. That was the mindset of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And they didn't approve of Jesus's methods. They didn't approve. They looked at themselves as as educated, refined, and extra-religious, ultra-religious. But Jesus' example made their selfishness as clear as crystal. And I think that's what really got under their skin, made them feel uncomfortable. And I find it interesting that Jesus starts his parable, the, the first of the three, by talking about a shepherd, a shepherd. Pharisees considered shepherds to be members of an unclean profession. And thus they would not readily be able to see themselves in the protagonist of this story. So before we get into the actual parable, we need to answer this question. What is a parable? What is a parable? If you've been coming to church for any amount of time, really, going to a church where they talk about Jesus, you've heard this before. If you've read the Bible, you, you've seen this terminology, a parable, but what is it? A parable is simply a story, an allegory, a fable, a myth, or a tale that teaches a spiritual lesson. That's what a parable is. And Jesus often told fictional stories to teach lessons. Now, just because something is fictitious does not mean it isn't true. Right, Chongo? I, 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 my ears perked up when you were talking about this story and that you just, you, you wanted to believe it was true. Sometimes I wonder if maybe we, we mix up some things. We mix up the difference between a true story and an historical story. They are not always one and the same. It is important to keep in mind that the three parables that Jesus tells here in Luke chapter 15 show three different aspects of sin and salvation, the truth of sin and salvation. None of these parables are complete in and of themselves. And this is why today's sermon is part of a series. We're not going to just stop with this first parable. We're going to go to the other two as well. If we only look at this parable, the parable of the lost sheep, we will miss out on the other perspectives that Jesus also wanted the Pharisees to pick up on, and I believe what he was hoping we would also pick up on. I found this following list helpful. I got it from the SDA Bible commentary concerning how and why Jesus used parables. Jesus used parables to, one, arouse interest, attention, and inquiry. Jesus used parables to impart unwanted truths without arousing prejudice. Three, to evade the spies who relentlessly pursued him. Four, to create lasting impressions in the minds of his listeners And finally, Jesus used parables to restore nature as an avenue of knowing God. So now that we know why Jesus used parables, let's let's jump into this parable. Luke 15, verse 4. What man of you, 
having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, one hundred was not an unusual size for a flock in these days. And also, since shepherds worked in close proximity to one another, the shepherd could leave his 99 knowing that his friends would keep their eyes on them as he went searching for the one that was lost. The loss of just one in a hundred. It might not seem like a big deal to us, right? For those of you students in here, when you take a test and you get a 99 on that test, that feels really good, right? That feels like an accomplishment, a success. But let us consider that the Eastern shepherd commonly knew each of his sheep personally, intimately. They were, they were like pets. You know how many of us treat our, our dogs and our cats? That's how these shepherds were treating their sheep. In the parable, the sheep gets lost and is not able to find its way back. No matter how long the shepherd lets the sheep wander around, hoping it might come back. The sheep knew it was lost, but it did not know what to do about it. It couldn't fix the problem, solve the issue here. This one lost sheep represents the individual sinner who knows that he or she is lost, but has no way to save him or herself. This parable teaches that Jesus would have died even if there was only one sinner in the entire history of the world to die for. That's the type of God that we serve. And according to the parable, if the shepherd had not gone after the sheep, had not gone in search of it, it most likely would have stayed lost. It wouldn't have found its way back home. The effectiveness of salvation doesn't consist in our seeking for God, but in his searching for us. God is constantly reaching out to us. It doesn't matter how far away we've gone from him, he's always searching for us, always reaching out that hand of salvation toward us. Any concept that regards Christianity merely as an attempt for mankind to find God misses the point that God is already in the search for humanity. Was it not God who went in search of Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden for the first time? Was it not Jesus who came to this world trying to win our hearts so that we could experience salvation and everything that it brings? So the shepherd in Jesus' parable goes out looking for the one lost sheep And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Notice here that the the shepherd does not scold or punish the sheep when he finds it. He doesn't scare it away. He doesn't even lead it back. He picks it up, holds it close, and brings it home. 
I imagine on the trip home, he was probably saying some gentle, nice things to the sheep as well. He'd been through a scary experience, a a horrific ordeal, not knowing if it would ever be found again. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, I'm sure that the sheep was grateful to be saved. But the joy of the shepherd was infinitely greater than that of the sheep. Jesus continues and says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, Jesus is, I think, speaking some hyperbole here because I've yet to meet one person, let alone 99 that don't need repentance. But the point is, that just that one that was lost and how scary and horrifying it must have been for that sheep, the fact that the shepherd found the one, his joy was greater. He had a deep love, an agape love, a type of love that sometimes we as humans might not ever experience in this life with other people. But we have a shepherd who loves us that way. We have a shepherd that is searching for us, a shepherd that is calling us home. You know, ancient Jewish rabbis had a saying that there was great rejoicing in heaven when a sinner was destroyed. That's what they said. That's what they believed. That's what they taught. But Jesus taught that the opposite is true. You know, when you get into the the, the context and the history around what was being taught in the first century about God, you start to get a glimmer, an understanding of why Jesus so often said, I have come to show you the Father. Because there were a lot of false ideas, a lot of false images of what God and his love looked like. There's much rejoicing in heaven when a sinner is saved. That's what Jesus says. There were and still are many false ideas about what God was like. And so Jesus came to set the record straight. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. We do not repent in order to receive God's love. We've already got it. We've already got it. Even when we are in an unrepentant state, even when we are being rebellious and hateful and mean and rude and selfish, God still loves us. He's got a plan for us. He hopes that we will change our ways. But even while we are just being atrocious, just acting a fool, he loves us anyways. So we don't repent in order to gain God's love. Hopefully, the understanding that God loved us at our worst will lead us into a place of repentance, will lead us to fall on our knees. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that sink in a little bit. 
Just do a little reflection. Think about the one day in your life that you felt like you were the worst possible human being that you've ever been. It was that you that Jesus saw in his mind when he died for you. That is love. That is love. Paul here, he, he goes on to tell us that it is God's goodness manifested in his love and long-suffering that leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is long-suffering, right? Do any of y'all remember that sermon I preached a couple months ago about the long nose of God? And in, in, in the Hebrew, the, the, the literal translation of long-suffering is that God is long of nose. Because they had a saying that if you had a temper, if you were a, a, a hothead, that's usually what we say, we, they would call them hot of nose. But God's nose was long. It took him a lot longer to get to that point of anger. You know, when I look at this parable, when I look at these scriptures from the writings of Paul, I've come to realize and accept the truth that it is a lie from the devil for us to believe that we must first repent in order to receive God's love. You've already got it, dear friends. God loves you. Satan, not God, is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12.10 tells us that. He's out there to trip us up. And I believe that Satan would love to use us to discourage that soul, that seeking soul that wanders away from God. He wants us to judge and criticize that person, to tear them down so that that person is so disheartened that they are driven far away from hope, far away from God. Every person that Christ has rescued is called to work in his name to help save lost souls. That's our job, that's our duty, that is our calling. This work had been neglected by Israel. Are we, the church, guilty of neglecting it today? So what we've got to ask ourselves, individually, collectively. I'd like to begin wrapping up today's sermon with this statement. The parable of the lost sheep clearly shows God's love for those who know they are lost, but don't know how to return to him. It also shows God's unwillingness that any should perish. He wants all his children to come home to him. Not 50%, not 75%, not even 99%. No, God's desire, God's hope, God's wish is that all would come to repentance. So my appeal this morning is twofold. There are two groups of people here this morning or watching at home. Two groups of people here. One, there are those 
that feel that they are lost and wandering. And the second group of people is those who know they are found and saved. And so I, w- I want to say a few things to that first group. For those of you who feel that you are lost and wandering, maybe you feel that you have to put on some sort of a disguise even to come to church. Maybe you feel like your doubts are sinful. Maybe you feel that you must struggle on your own because you are scared of how others will judge your concerns, your fears, your questions. I want you to know that I strive to do everything within my power to make this church a safe place for you. A place where you can wrestle with your doubts. A place where you can come and be open and honest about your feelings concerning God in the Bible. This is a safe place for you. Struggling is a normal part of the life of faith. Struggle is just a part of it. The Psalms are full of people pouring out their doubts and their fears to God. Jesus himself struggled with his faith with his faith in the garden and on the cross. Life is hard. Doubts creep in. And the devil is always there whispering in our ear. I'm not saying it's great to be where you are, but what I am saying is it's not abnormal to have those sorts of feelings. You aren't alone. Find people that will listen. Find people that won't judge and criticize and shame you, ostracize you, or look down on you for having the willingness and the honesty to ask the questions you have, to voice the doubts that you have. Because one thing that I believe truly is that the question in your mind that you don't ask, you have no possibility of it being answered. The doubt that you wrestle with in your heart, it's not going to get taken care of if you don't talk about it, if you don't share. In the book of Isaiah, God himself says, come, let us reason together. This is the God of the universe, the creator of all things saying, hey, let's have an honest conversation. You can talk to me. God can handle whatever you throw at him. So if you're feeling alone, if you are feeling lost, know that God is already searching for you because God loves you. And for those of you here or watching at home that know that you have been found and know that you have been saved, let's be willing to make this a safe place for doubters and seekers. Amen? Let's try to listen more. Let's try to understand better. When someone comes to you with their honest doubts and questions, don't write them off as just merely being rebellious or enemies of God. Treat them with love, respect, long-suffering. Be kind when they say things that might offend you. Offer them the grace 
that God has offered to you in your time of need. Let us never chase anyone off because they have doubts. Let us never shame anybody or kick them out because they have something that we deem to be wrong theology. Let us never shut down or ignore honest questions because that hurts. Let us never be dismissive of the fears and struggles of others. May this building be a place where we can all come together and know and experience the love of Jesus. But for now, I'm going to invite Chongo Mundende to come forward, to stand at the foot of the steps as our elder in charge today. After the benediction, you who wish can be dismissed. But if there's anybody here that has any special need, any special prayer, special petition, we want to listen We want to pray with you. We want to lift that petition up to the throne of God. So after I have the closing prayer, I'm going to step down over here. Chongo is over there. Come talk to us. Come pray with us. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, this life is tricky. This life is stressful and anxiety-ridden. Sometimes we have doubts. And Lord, help us when we have doubts about your love for us. Lord, sometimes we are going through the motions, not even realizing that we are lost. But Lord, this parable specifically talks to those who know they are lost, but don't know how to make it back home. Don't know how to make it back to the shepherd. Lord, if there's anybody here listening to my voice, I pray that they would accept your love right now and accept the truth that you are searching for them and that you love them and that you want to bring them home. And Lord, for those of us that know that we have been found, know that we have been saved, May we live a life full of joy with this truth. But Lord, may we not just hoard it to ourselves. May we share that truth with others. For those that are seeking, for those that are doubting, Lord, may we listen, may we draw near to, may we comfort and share about you. Lord, may this be a safe place for anybody to come and to learn more about Jesus. So Lord, as we go out into the world this week, we pray that you would hold us close to you. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would give us divine appointments, opportunities to share your love and your grace with the world. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.